Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, didn't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I was reading an article by the Wall Street Journal uh, a couple of days ago, and I don't have a subscription to the Wall Street, but I came across an article that was interesting. This, this author made the comment that while we are all hoping and looking forward to the day when things go back to normal after coronavirus, um, maybe not everything will go back to being the same. And, and she was articulating through this article just this idea that while we're forced to be a lot more isolated, a lot more, uh, we're away from the things that we were hoping for in this season of our life, away from school and away from relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, career choices. The, the goals of our lives may be disrupted in this season. At the same time, because those things have been forced to change for us in this season, there is this opportunity that many people are taking to reevaluate their priorities and looking at their lives and saying, are these the goals that I really want for my life? Are these the priorities that I really want expressed in my life? Is this what I want my life to be about moving forward? And it's forcing everyone to take this moment to kind of look at their lives and an opportunity to ask those poignant questions. In our passage tonight, Jesus essentially is doing the same thing with Mary and Martha. He's giving them an opportunity to stop and reflect and look at their lives and look at the way that they're living them and assess, are these the priorities that you want to live by? And I think as we're all kind of in this season, asking that question is such a, a pertinent one for us. As a community, I, I really hope and pray that we would take this opportunity to learn <clears throat> what does it look like to prioritize the Lord and to look at what does it look like to have extravagant time with the Lord? What does it look like to grow deeper in our relationship with God in the midst of all the other things that are so uncertain, knowing that he is certain in the midst of it? And so as we look at this passage, uh, there's just a, a number of things that this passage has to tell us about how do we assess priorities? How do we uh, assign priorities to all the different pressures and opportunities and tensions in life and moving forward how do we become people much more like Jesus is calling us to through this passage so the first question I just want to pose is is maybe what is the foundation of how we assess priorities for our lives and that question is a little more uh, similar to another question which is why is good good you know, any first year philosophy student has had to wrestle with that question probably in their class, like what are the foundations of morality and of goodness? What makes something good? What makes something better than something else, 
right? Jesus doesn't tell Martha, hey, you're doing something bad by cooking and providing and being a good hostess to me. He said, Mary is just doing something better, right? How do we prioritize the good things in our life and how we assess what are those better things? And so that question, what is morality based upon, is such a poignant one. You know, you, you find in life there are these, these concepts and these questions that when you begin to wrestle with them, they, they leave a mark on your soul. And this question has been one for me. Uh, it it co often comes to the surface for me because, not because it necessarily has dramatically changed my walk with the Lord, but it has deepened my understanding of so many aspects of my walk with the Lord. But when we look at Jesus, we suddenly have this answer to that question. What is the foundation? What is the basis of morality that is so much more honestly, guys, rich and deep and profound, analytically satisfying and experientially uh, fulfilling in understanding what is the priority of life, what is good or better or best than, than really any other way of looking at philosophy or worldview or religion, right? If, if you believe in God then, or some kind of force out there or some kind of supreme power, conscious or unconscious, you have to ask the question, well, <clears throat> why do you say that that idea of God is loving? Show me why that idea of God is, is a good foundation for morality or for goodness or for prioritizing your life. And in Christ, we see this incredible uh, revelation of, of where we can find a foundational footing for that idea. That only in Jesus does he say, I am love, and then expresses what love is, saying, greater love has no man than this, than that one lay down his life for friends, and then goes to the cross. He comes to us pursuing us because we couldn't or wouldn't want to pursue him. Right? He sacrifices coming to the earth lowly and humble so that we could draw into relationship with him, that we have a relational God in his ethos, that he is a relational being. And does your idea of God line up with that idea of God? Can you put a finger to the idea that God is that loving, that sacrificial, that expressive? But if you don't believe in a supreme power, if you just believe that morality is an expression of genetic um, progression and what's best for the species to survive, you know, the uh, strict atheist evolutionary theory, then that may seem to you like an answer, but it's an answer equivalent to uh, when you ever read the books as a kid, you know, um, Hitchhiker's Guides to the Galaxy, and they find the great computer that has the answer to the meaning of life and everything, and it's something like 47, right? It may be the answer, but it's so unfulfilling, right? It's like, that can't be it, right? It's like taking a hike in Colorado here and, and trying to get to your destination and anticipating this incredible vista and this incredible beauty that you know once you get to that destination, you're gonna to get to see. And I've had times where I've hiked uh, backpacking trips and we get there and it's after dark. 
and it's it is such a letdown. You've worked so hard to try to get to the answer to that experience to that moment, and suddenly it's just letdown, right? That idea of morality is is such a letdown. It's it's so unfulfilling because we're just uh, this is just for biological procreation. This is just for an accidental universe that has no purpose, no meaning, and no value to it. And so there really isn't morality, just a subjective idea of what's best for the herd mentality. But in Christ, we see this incredible opportunity to draw close to the author of life. And as we draw closer to the author of life through that authorship, we find that we come into our own humanity as it was always meant and that we can respond to the God who is pursued hard after us. There's this passage in Ezekiel, this Old Testament prophet, this old Jewish prophet, years ago, long before Jesus, and, and Israel was running from Yahweh, running from God. And Ezekiel, speaking for God, gives this, this scripture verse in chapter 44, and he just makes this this interesting observation that the Lord gives him this word, but he says, uh, the, but the Levitical priests, uh, the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, even when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. That God actually is saying, hey, for those of you who are, who are actively serving and living for me and you are, it's, you are ministering to me. We think of God ministering to us, right? We think, hey, I'm here online uh, so that maybe I can get ministered to a little bit for my small group leader, from maybe Nate or the worship team or what have you. And that's not that that's bad. We want to minister to you, but our heart should be, God, let's, we want to minister to you. We don't sing songs so we can get you know, warm, fuzzy feelings. We sing praises to God like the psalmist that David, uh, when he read that psalm, we talked about at the very beginning. I said, I'm, I'm putting my hope in you. I'm praising you. I'm recognizing I just need to focus on you. You know, I think as C.S. Lewis, amongst others, who said that humility isn't thinking less of oneself, it's thinking of oneself less. And so as we come into this place with the Lord, recognizing we get to minister to the heart of God. When we, when we worship Him, when we love Him, when we express back to Him what He has offered to us, we find that we, yes, find that we draw closer to the source of life Himself. And through that, have this baseline for understanding what is the priority of life? What, how should I assess my life? Uh, but we also find purpose in, res in the response and in the pursuit of worshiping and loving and ministering to his heart as we're in relationship with a relational God. So as we look at this story with Mary and Martha, just a couple of thoughts about how I prioritize my life in a godly, Christ-centered way. And there's two lenses that we can look at, and I want to just look at uh, these two lenses tonight as as how we're going to look at this passage for the next few minutes. And I'm not going to take a lot of time here, guys, tonight. We're, I know you've been on uh, screens all day with classes and lectures and all that kind of stuff. All of us are on screens far more than maybe ever before. And uh, I get that. But I do want to just share a few thoughts that, that I hope will help you stir your heart and your mind towards the Lord tonight. 
And the first lens I want to look through is to see this story through Martha's motivation. What do my motivations say about my priorities? Jesus challenged Martha's motivations and what those motivations said about her priorities in three ways. And um, those, and through those three, we can ask ourselves the same question uh, to the passage, Jesus, would you be saying that about me too? When Jesus challenges Martha, is he in a loving way? This is a family he loves, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You know, he, it, commentators make reference to it seems like Jesus actually went out of his way to stop in at friends' houses. These are people he loves, but he's challenging them. I want to draw closer to you, and these are some of the ways that you can draw closer to me. And so would he say that about you and me tonight? And the first one is he told Martha that there were many things in her life that were worrying her, that she was full of worry. You know, that's a poignant word for us right now, right? You know, what are the things in your life right now? Are you full of many worries? Are there many things in your life that you're worrying about? You're worrying about your education and you're worrying about that girlfriend that you don't get to see as much right now. Are you worrying about you know, how is your career going to be affected? You know, are you worrying about finances because jobs are more uncertain in the future? You know, the economy, is it going to handle? Are, are we full of worry? Are we you know, worrying about you know, family members that are maybe at higher risk and all those things? And I'm not saying there isn't the understanding that we should be aloof to wisdom. But when Jesus is talking to Martha, he is saying, you are full of so much angst, right? There is, you know, how do people perceive me as a hostess? And I've got this great rabbi here and I need everything to be perfect. And I, you know, what is he gonna think? And what is the community gonna think? And what am I, you know, am I getting everything done that I want to? Am I performing the way I want to? Are you somebody that Jesus would say, you've just got too much worry? You're dwelling on the wrong things. You're meditating on the wrong things. Yes, you need to be observant and aware, but you're just living in the wrong places in your heart and your mind. The second thing he says is that she is also upset about many things. And you kind of get this impression that, that Martha comes up to Jesus saying, hey, get Mary to help me. And he's responding about something much deeper than just this moment. Right? She's not upset. I mean, she's upset that Mary is, is not helping her in the kitchen, but that seems like one thing. Jesus is like, you have many things that you are upset about, right? There is a trend here. He's speaking to the heart of her life. Not only is she worried about the future, how things are progressing and how she wants things to be, but there's a lot of things that haven't gone the way that she wants them to go. You know, Martha is that A-type personality. She's that, that go-getter. She's probably got some incredible leadership skills. We see that in the different uh, stories with her in it, that she seems to be the one kind of taking charge at the forefront. You know, she's the person that every employer loves to have at some level. And yet, through that ambition to accomplish and achieve, she missed the more important thing. She had an opportunity to draw near to Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to let Christian service get in the way. We're doing so many things for the Lord, but are we doing things with the Lord? And are we being with Him? 
being driven is not bad, but are you upset when things aren't going your way? And right now, are you full of frustration, maybe with the world at large, maybe with political leaders, maybe with you know, the university, maybe with totally separate things than, than the coronavirus, but just your life, there's things that you're just upset about. Would Jesus say you have many things that are filling your heart and your mind and your soul that are frustrating you? Or have you let those things go? The third thing is there, is there more than one thing that you need to be fulfilled in life? Jesus said, hey, all these worries, all these frustrations that you have, Martha, they're just getting in the way of the one thing. You don't need a lot of things, a few things. Really, at the foundation, one thing. And that one thing is Jesus, right? There's, there's uh, really fascinating research out there. Uh, I love uh, some of Angela Duckworth's work in just looking at resilience and, and um, there's this research that basically is highlighting uh, what she would say is basically what you would call ultimate concerns. There's ultimate concerns in life that, that they don't have any other reason, but they're just kind of an end unto themselves. Uh, but then there's all these other things that are means to an end. And, you know, I, I just, that helps me think through for Martha, she had a lot of ultimate concerns, a lot of things that weren't serving anything else that seemed like these worries and these concerns and these frustrations were all coming from these things. She was holding so tightly to so many things that she wanted for her life and she wanted in her world and she wanted things to be a certain way. And she couldn't let go of any of them because she didn't see how these things served greater things. And in your life, is there a clarity of focus, right? The research says you're, you're able to be far more uh, peaceful and focused and, and driven in a healthy way if you understand what is that ultimate concern. And the fewer ultimate concerns you have, ideally, they even say, the secular researchers, uh, saying even if you could, could have one, that would be the ideal because nothing would be conflicting in your life. But if you have lots of things that you're trying to accomplish that don't serve something else, then you're always full of tension and anxiety and frustration as a result. But when, you know, for me, I have a heart to, to have meaningful interaction with you guys. And so my, that heart is, it leads me to try to prep for these kinds of interactions, these kinds of conversations like we're having online. But then those, those interactions are so that I could maybe see the, the dream in our heart as a ministry to, to see more and more people uh, drawing close to the Lord through college students being effective ministers of the gospel in their world, being disciple makers to their friends in their world. So that through that we can see our university transformed in its culture and its ethos. So we can see the world after they graduate, after you graduate, transformed in discipleship, culture infusing into the church and missions opportunities around the world in whatever way you might find. So we can see the world transformed at some level through CSU's impact. So that we can glorify the Lord. But if I don't keep that ultimate end in mind, I just want to glorify the Lord. It becomes so easy 
to say I'm prepping to share hopefully some meaningful thoughts with students tonight so I can feel validated, so I can feel significant, so I can feel valued in my life. And suddenly I'm no longer doing it to glorify the Lord, I'm doing it to glorify myself. And so do we make decisions with the clarity of focus of saying, is this in some way serving maybe a goal that's serving another goal that's ultimately got its end in seeing Jesus glorified in my life? Am I finding the end at his feet? Am I finding the end being near him and with him? The second thing tonight is we can look at this lens uh, to see this story through the idea of how Mary expressed her convictions to the Lord. Second lens is to see this story through the lens of the sisters' expressions. This is where we see the tension most clearly. Feelings versus actions. Jesus challenged Martha in her motivation, but he praised Mary for her expression. It doesn't say that Mary didn't also have lots of anxiety or stress or worries or frustrations in her life. It doesn't say that she didn't have those things. We, we could assume maybe she didn't, um, but Jesus really doesn't address that with, with Mary. He says, you came to my feet and that was the better thing. See, Martha, you might ask, how, okay, I see my life full of these things, but how do I get past them? How do I move past them to, to take on a more simple focus in my life, to a more simple and focused agenda of my life, to say, I just want to draw near to the feet of Jesus. Anything that I can do with Jesus is amazing. Anything I can do to draw near to him is incredible. But how do I get to that place? And the amazing thing is that Martha's sister gives us the answer. It was not necessarily the motivation that first had to change, but the expression. And if the expression is in line, it will change our motivations with time. I think it's amazing when we talk about the spiritual disciplines. It's one of those concepts we don't, it doesn't sound very fun. Spiritual disciplines, discipline, sounded like something my parents did to me when I was you know, young, right? Something that we don't really like and don't look forward to. But, but the great patriarchs, men and women throughout history, church history and in the Bible certainly, saw the disciplines as the great joy of their life. Because while they did many other things at the foundation, what they were doing was doing spiritual chiropractics in their life. At the foundation, prayer, fasting, meditating on the word, these disciplines that, that throughout Christian history have been exercised at the foundation is saying, I am choosing to express priority to the Lord. Whether or not I feel it, I'm going to choose to act it out in a way that eventually my feelings will follow. I remember an old pastor who was about 70 years old saying in a devotional I was a part of once that he, has, he would have to wake up some mornings and tell the Lord about 70 times, you know, about once for every year of his life, that he loved Jesus before he really started to mean it. But what he was doing was he was getting, he was expressing love to Jesus until it was the motivation of his heart. 
but he wasn't going to get the motivation without first expressing it. When we pray, God, I want to be near you, we may at first fight that in our minds and our motivations, but the more we begin to pray, God, I want to be with you. I want to be near you. And we are prioritizing prayer over, you know, the Netflix binge or the, you know, stress with uh, this thing or that thing in my life. When I focus on that and focus there, it focuses my life in line with what is the true motivation of my heart. When we fast, which I'll be honest, guys, is not my favorite spiritual discipline, but when we fast, I have found such value in it because it's not my favorite one. And you know, I, I use this analogy sometimes with guys, uh, when, when I've got a cheeseburger in front of me, if I ask the student that is a follower of Jesus, do you love Jesus or that cheeseburger more? They would almost certainly say, I love Jesus more, obviously. But if I asked, do you love Jesus and his presence and his priority in your life? Or do you love that cheeseburger right now, in this moment more, you might find that you don't care as much about whether or not you're sinking with the presence of God in this moment, so much as you want you know, that cheeseburger that you're just hungry for. And when I choose, you know, I'm gonna set that thing aside, it acts out alignment in my heart that suddenly I say, okay, you know what? No, I'm acting out my conviction until it becomes the motivation of my heart. And so as we're in this season, you know, as we're in this season where we maybe don't have nearly as much social interaction as we're used to, let's be a, peop a people who are having lots of social interaction with Jesus. When we're recognizing that there's a lot of things that maybe I need to assess, what is the motivation of my heart? Good questions. Are you full of anxiety and stress and worry? Is there a clarity of the focus of every decision that you make in your life and how it's focused on praising and worshiping Jesus? And if not, maybe you need to do a little spiritual chiropractics and, and realign your focus and your priorities to line up to the Lord. If you say, how do I do that? Step into this season and take advantage of the moments you get. If you remember at the beginning of the semester, we talked about abiding with the Lord. And maybe if you remember, I know you don't remember everything I ever say by any stretch, but if you remember when we talked about the abiding in the storm, I'm not saying that everything that happens in life is God's will, but for those of us who love Jesus, whether or not it is his will, if we will surrender it to him, it becomes his will and becomes his tool of refining us. And so let's use this season we get to abide with Jesus as we don't get as much time to abide with each other. And let's focus on what are those things? What does it look like in this season for me to sit at the feet of Jesus? What does that look like? And that's the question I'm just gonna ask you to, to break up into your small group. Uh, if you're online uh, and you have a small group leader, uh, please just contact them now or maybe they've contacted you. Uh, but just like give you guys a, a few minutes either just to pray for each other and maybe you're like, hey, I, I've got some things that I know uh, shouldn't you know, be my priorities but are. Maybe they're good things but the motivations just aren't right yet. Uh, maybe there's things that I 
shouldn't be focusing on. I'm full of angst right now because I'm meditating on the wrong things. I'm filling my mind and my heart with, with the wrong things. And maybe there's some things that you say, these are the things, this is what I do need to be filling my life with. Am I filling my mind and my heart with the right type of things? And so just spend a few minutes, if you would, processing, either praying for one another and or processing like how, what does it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus this semester? And we're going to be doing a series going forward for the next uh, few weeks on different people that sat at the feet of Jesus and what we can learn from their approach and their interaction with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of our lives, and the author of morality and love. So thanks for the time tonight, guys. Go ahead and break up into small group chats, whether on Zoom or Messenger or whatever phone call. And we will see you next week, uh, same time, same place. And let me pray and we'll close the night. God, we love you. And God, sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't. <clears throat> but in this moment, we just take this moment to choose God you loved us and we recognize that and you are the God of peace and we acknowledge that peace that we have access to God you are the God of joy and we reflect upon the fact that we get to abide in your joy even when the happiness at times isn't in our life or even when it is the depth of joy is so much deeper with you and enriches everything of our lives lord help us lord help us to come to your feet help us to bow before you help us to draw near to you humbly and authentically because you are worthy and we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.